Now let's jump into this week's episode. Many young women often feel like there's nowhere safe in the world. And today's case is a good example of why they might just feel that way. What should have been just a quick, relaxing run suddenly became deadly for Sydney Sutherland. A life can be altered in an instant, and too often, it's the actions of men towards women which are the deadly triggers. When Sydney Sutherland was born on September 18, 1995, her parents, Dion and Maggie, were beyond thrilled. She was the first girl born on either side of their families in years. And though she was born in Jonesboro, Arkansas, she had spent most of her life growing up on her family's farm in Grubbs, Arkansas. Grubbs is a tiny town of only 400 people located in the middle of farm country in the northeast area of the state. Sydney had two older brothers, Tyler and Sam. Despite being the youngest and the baby of the family, Sydney was outgoing, bold, and strong. She was the family's rock, always the one to plan family events, down to the last detail. Sydney attended Tuckerman High School, where she was active in many clubs, including Spanish Club, Key Club, and Beta Club. She also played softball for their school team. After graduating in 2014, she enrolled at Arkansas State University, Newport, to become a licensed practical nurse. In December of 2019, she officially became a registered nurse after graduating from University of Arkansas Community College in Batesville. And she was thrilled to start work right away. She was hired at Unity Health Harris Medical Center in Newport. Sydney's compassionate and loving nature made her wonderful at her job. She was adored by both her coworkers and patients. Outside of work, Sydney loved to exercise, listen to audiobooks, play with their dogs, and shop. Above all, she loved her nieces, Mila and Lenny, her brother Sam's children. Though small standing only 5'3", she was known as Aunt Sassy and never missed a chance to see Mila and Lenny. In the summer of 2020, Sydney was 25 years old and living with her long-term boyfriend, Alex Nicholson. They had been dating for four years and her mother, Maggie, was sure that they were going to settle down together soon. In early August, the extended Sutherland family went on vacation to Destin, Florida. They spent some time on the beach, enjoyed the sun, and had a great time together. But the trip was short, and they came back home to Grubbs, Arkansas in Jackson County on August 18th, 2020. They only had one day before they had to go back to work. While the Sutherland family was busy recovering from their wonderful vacation, they had no idea that it was the last time they would have spent together as a family because the very next day tragedy struck on august 19th 2020 sydney sutherland still had to unpack from her trip but she always made fitness a priority so she wasn't about to skip a day she spent the morning with her personal trainer at the gym before heading over to her mom maggie's house around one in the afternoon to help with cleaning out the car and putting everything away from the trip at her parents' house, she chatted with her mom, brought in the mail from her parents, and carried things from the car inside to help. After a bit, Sydney needed to head home. She wanted to go for a run and thought that she might bake some cookies or brownies after. Maggie tried to convince her daughter that there was no need to go on a run after a busy vacation, and the fact that she had already been to the gym once today was enough too. She thought Sydney should take the day to rest before having to go back to work. 
Sydney didn't see it that way. For her, running was a release, not just something she did for exercise. On her way out the door, Maggie said, bye, I love you, and I'll talk to you later. Sydney's last words to her mother as she left her family's home were, I love you too. Sydney went back to the home that she shared with her boyfriend, Alex, and she already had on a white tank top, black athletic shorts, and her running shoes. Setting her Apple Watch and pocketing her iPhone, Sydney headed out for a short run going west along Highway 18, a stretch of road that ran between Newport and Grubbs. Trusting that she'd be back soon, there was no reason for her to bring her car or other personal items. Between 2.30 and 3 p.m. that day, a UPS driver recalled seeing her running along the road, still heading west. A few hours passed and Sydney's boyfriend Alex returned to their home to find that she still hadn't returned from her run. While she loved to run, it wasn't like her to be gone for this long, especially without calling. After 5 o'clock that evening, two hours after she was last seen on her run, Alex called Maggie, thinking that perhaps Sydney had come home, decided to go back to her mom's house, and had just forgotten to let him know. But Maggie hadn't heard from Sydney since she left earlier in the day. Maggie called Sydney's phone, texted her, and even sent her Snapchats. Everything went unanswered. Knowing that something was wrong, Maggie got in her car and quickly drove the 15 minutes to Sydney and Alex's house, calling her husband and sons along the way to see if they knew anything. As a nurse with a busy and ever-changing schedule, Sydney didn't have a set running time or route. She was always out at a different time for a different distance, depending on how long she had dedicated to her run. Because of this, it wasn't easy for Sydney's family to even know where to look. Taking her best guess, Maggie drove along Highway 18, knowing that her daughter sometimes ran there, but there was no sign of Sydney. After two hours of searching and unanswered calls, the Sutherland family knew something was terribly wrong and that they needed to contact the police. Given that she frequently changed her routes and times for her run, police determined that it seemed unlikely that this was a premeditated kidnapping. It seemed more likely that if a crime was committed, it was likely a crime of opportunity. As they established a search party, many asked Maggie, trying to give her hope, if perhaps Sydney would have gotten in the car with someone. Perhaps she had gotten injured on a run and someone had stopped to help her. Maggie was adamant that Sydney would have never gotten in the car with someone like that. Within hours of the initial call about her disappearance being reported to police, dozens of people from the area had joined in to help search for Sydney. Multiple police departments also joined to help, including the Jackson County Sheriff's Office, the Arkansas Department of Correction, the Arkansas State Police, U.S. Marshals, the FBI, and police officers from Tuckerman, Jonesboro, and Newport. By 2 a.m., no evidence of what had happened to Sydney had turned up, and they paused the investigation for the night. By 7 a.m. the next morning, nearly 200 people had shown up to help search, some who hardly even knew Sydney. 
After a full day of canvassing the area where Sydney was believed to have been running, they finally found their first lead. Sydney's iPhone was located about a mile away from her home along Jackson County Road 41 South. Thankfully, the phone was still working and the police hoped that there might be information on there that could help them find her. With new evidence and it getting dark, the search was again suspended for the night. Hi, this is Daniel Roof, the Real GM Radio Podcast. It's a Texas showdown. The postseason and Bet Online is your number one source for all your baseball wagering information, up to the minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Everything you need to stay up to speed on each league championship series and through the World Series. Don't forget, Bet Online is where you have the latest game odds, present totals for the NFL and college football, plus real time updates on statistics, news, and odds. Serious up betting on football. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action at Bet Online, where the game starts. By Friday, August 21st, over 48 hours after Sydney had last been seen, the police held a news conference to share that they were working on several leads. The Sutherland family had more hope than ever that they would find Sydney. That is until the Jackson County Sheriff, David Lucas, called the family together to share the devastating news. A body had been found that matched Sydney's description. The sheriff had the body sent to the Arkansas Crime Lab for DNA testing to confirm their suspicions, and by 6 p.m. that night, the results had returned. The body, which had been found buried on a farm some three miles away from her home, was that of 25-year-old Sydney Sutherland. Though the specifics weren't released, she had died of blunt force trauma. With their worst nightmare having come true, the Sutherlands wanted nothing more than to know who had done this to Sydney and why. The sheriff shared that they had already arrested the man they believed was responsible, and it was someone that the family knew, a man only a few years older than Sydney named Quake Llewellyn. Quake Llewellyn was born in June of 1992 in Newport, Arkansas, a small town near Grubbs where Sydney lived. As a kid, he lived with his mother primarily, who remarried three times before meeting her current husband, who adopted Quake fully when he was in the ninth grade. Growing up, he had a mostly easy life, a life without violence or abuse. Quake attended Tuckerman High School, just like Sydney and was a few years older than her, but given that the school had hardly 200 students in total, it was impossible not to know everyone. Though they did know each other, Sydney and Quake weren't friends and didn't spend any time together, neither in high school or after. Quake was a quiet, average kid, never getting in trouble, getting mostly C's and B's. He kept his head down. After graduating, he tried a semester at Arkansas State University in Newport, but he decided that it wasn't for him, preferring to work on his family's farm instead, like he had since he was a teenager. The Llewellyn family farm was a successful business, too, having won the Jackson County Family Farm of the Year Award in 2016. At 23, Quake moved out of his mother's home to live on his own. Within the next two years, he had met his wife and she moved into the house he rented with her three kids, Quake's stepchildren. In 2020, when Quake was nearly 28, he decided to move his family back home to live with his mother so that he could save up to buy a home of their own. Quake had recently started his own farm where he primarily grew rice and beans. The farm was on 500 acres of land and he rented and cared for it with his father. By all accounts, it seemed like Quake was a normal guy. 
He had no history of drinking, drugs, or violence. He didn't have a record of law-breaking and had no history of mental illness. He worked hard on his farm, came home to his family, helped with dinner, paid the bills, and enjoyed a simple life. When the Sutherland family learned from investigators that it was Quake who had killed their daughter, they were surprised, particularly because Quake was someone who had volunteered to help them search for Sydney over the past few days. Sam, Sydney's older brother, had received a phone call from Quake sharing that he had seen Sydney while she was out for her run just before she had gone missing. He shared that he had seen her heading south over the overpass towards home, which was the truth. She was going along the path. Why would Quake admit that, knowing that he was responsible for her death? Maggie also recalled seeing Quake during the searches, noting that he had been standing off to the side near the common post, lurking near a tree, perhaps to listen in on what investigators were finding. Maggie asked him if he knew anything, and all he said was that he had seen her running. Despite Maggie's pleas for information and repeated questioning, all he could share was that she was just running. When he was done talking, he gave Maggie a small talk, awkward hug, and headed back over to the main search party group. Though Maggie felt like something was off and odd about the interaction, she had no idea she had just hugged her daughter's killer. While it's often it takes months or even years for a missing persons case to find closure, Sydney's was able to be closed quite quickly surprisingly due to Quake Llewellyn's cooperation with the police. On August 21st, 2020, two days after the disappearance, Quake himself and his father went to the police willing to give an interview after sharing that Quake had seen Sydney while on a run. While there, Quake had led investigators search his truck, a 2019 GMC pickup. In the search, they found blood inside the cracks of the tailgate. With blood found in Quake's confession of having seen Sydney, police knew that there was more to the story. Quake's mother provided them with the home surveillance footage from the 19th, the day Sydney went missing. Quake's wife helped detectives review the footage and pointed out that there was a new dent in his truck that appeared on the 19th of August. With evidence mounting, police were able to get a search warrant to investigate Quake's home, car, and phone. According to Life360, an app that tracks your location to share with friends and family, investigators were able to place Quake at a location near a farm, about three miles away from where Sydney had been running on the 19th. It was there, just yards away from where the app had pinpointed him, that they found Sydney Sutherland's body buried. With her body found, Quake was immediately arrested and charged with her murder. After being read as Miranda writes, Quake admitted what had happened. He had murdered Sydney. Quake confessed that he had passed Sydney on a run while he was on his way to check the wells and rice fields on his farm. When he saw her, he turned around on the overpass, making a U-turn back towards her. When he turned, his truck caused the gravel and dirt to cloud up so much that he couldn't see well. He said that he believed that he may have crossed the road, but then he started moving his car and felt her hit his truck. So he slowed down to stop and check. He walked up and asked if she was okay, but she didn't reply. 
he began to fear that he was going to get in trouble for running her over and believed that she was dead at this point. So he put her body in the tailgate of his truck with a plan to hide her body so that he wouldn't get in trouble. He drove to a rice field nearby and dug a hole with a shovel that he had had in the bed of his truck. He confessed that he took her clothes off and tried to mess with her a bit. But when asked to clarify exactly what he meant, his attorneys quickly stopped him in case he incriminated himself further. Quick said that he picked that location to bury her because that was just where he was and where he was going to begin with. This was all around 3 in the afternoon on August the 19th, 2020, only a short while after Sydney had started her run. Up until he encountered Sydney, Quake's day was as normal as ever. He had checked the wells, had lunch in his office kitchen, then went back to checking the wells. It seems that he had no clear intention to commit murder that afternoon, and after burying Sydney, he just went back to work checking the wells until 5 or 6 p.m. He went home, ate supper, and he went to bed, not letting on that he had taken a life only hours earlier. He didn't tell anyone what had happened, and he tried to forget about it. His father called him that night to ask if Quake had seen Sydney. He said that he had, but nothing further. Quake admitted that he wasn't feeling very stressed or guilty about what had happened. He just didn't want to get caught. The next day, despite the whole town in a panic over Sydney, he went to work like normal. In speaking with officers, he was as cooperative as ever. Quake admitted that he went to the police station because he was the last person to see Sydney and hoped that this would be helpful in not getting him caught. He even agreed to take a polygraph, but they didn't do that at the station. In his confession to authorities, he said that it was all just a blur after he hit her. He said, I knew I didn't kill her on purpose, but when asked why he didn't call 911 after hitting her, he said, I don't know, I was just too scared. To back up Quake's confession, police found that Quake owns Sanook-style shoes that matched the footprints that were found near where Sydney was buried. They found his pair of boots at his mother's house. Quake also admitted that he was wearing Ariat work boots when he buried Sydney, the same that he wore to the initial interview. Police collected those boots as well. He told police that he put the clothes that he was wearing when he killed her in a laundry basket at his mom's house. Police took a pair of black pants, black shirt with blonde hair on it, a pair of black and pink shorts, a pair of dry fit pants, two pairs of men's jeans, a tank top, a pair of socks, and a men's shirt from the laundry basket. With a confession and a mountain of evidence against him, Quake Llewellyn is facing charges of capital murder, rape, kidnapping, and abuse of a corpse. At his hearing, only weeks ago, he entered a plea of not guilty. He is currently being held without the possibility of bail as he awaits his arraignment on October 29th. He is currently being held at the Randolph County Jail in Pocahontas, Arkansas. He has been transferred there for safety reasons after being held at the Jackson County Jail. In the last month, his wife has filed for divorce, citing general indignities. It has been determined that he is fit to stand trial, and if he's found guilty, Quake Llewellyn could face the death penalty, something that the Sutherland family isn't opposed to. Maggie Sutherland in particular feels that Quake is an evil monster and cannot understand why he picked her daughter and best friend to do this to. 
In the years since losing Sydney, the Sutherland family has received an outpouring of support from their community and beyond. They have placed a bright pink cross at Sydney's final resting spot, hoping that it will remind others of her beautiful spirit and keep her from being forgotten as well. For Maggie, the cross is a symbol of a young woman taken too soon and serves as an everyday reminder for every parent driving or jogging by. The Sutherlands are also in the process of creating a foundation in Sydney's name that will provide a scholarship for future Arkansas State University students pursuing an education in the medical field. They've also hosted runs to raise funds and awareness of Sydney's story. One in particular has the hashtag Finish Sydney's Run, where Sydney's friends and family have run the same or similar route that she was on last near Highway 18. Maggie, even when not hosting an event, still goes back to the path that her daughter was taken on. She walks it many times, attempting to make sense of it all, but still struggles. For the Sutherlands, there isn't a day that goes by that they don't think of her and miss her pretty smile. Life can change in an instant. For Sydney, a short run became a death sentence. For Quake, what may have just been an accident, followed by a bad decision to cover up his crime, may also become a death sentence. Sydney's mother is reminded of this daily and reminds us, when you see your child or anyone you care about, tell them that you love them. It could be your last words. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. We will see you next week. Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. All right. So what are we at? Day four? Day four. Day four of living at your par- in your parents' basement. <laughs> Full circle, yes. <laughs> Uh, We do want to apologize for this episode. If you happen to hear crickets chirping in the background at times. We actually, we might not have to apologize at all. This is kind of like one of those uh, sleep podcasts. We could just put 20 minutes of silence with the crickets. Oh my God. Dog eating dog food behind us. Like what's that called? Uh, It's like a trendy thing um, where like people like sounds to certain things. ASMR. Yeah. Ah. You can start to do that. Um, yeah. And you know what? The baby's been sleeping so sound because it is like one of those songs. He's like listening to crickets and the fan blowing. He's been sleeping for like four hours like at very... a time. <laughs> All the ambience. <laughs> um, but yeah, sorry about that, guys. Hopefully um, next week we'll we'll move to a different location. We're kind of just like stuck at, at, in this room. So, yeah. Well, I mean, we kind of have to make do with what we have, but... We have the Whisper Room. The Whisper awesome. Room, which got delivered on a giant semi-truck. Oh, my God. I had to bring my mom because you still can't lift because of like, you know, yeah. you just had the baby and everything. Got out of that one. I had to bring my mom because the Whisper Room, they'll only deliver it to like your driveway. Yeah. And it's like a thousand pound pallet, which when we got there, the truck driver, he was super nice. But he was like, look, I, I can't even use the lift gate. Like, it's too big. Oh, my God. So we had to pull our truck back up to it, like literally just carrying boxes like off of the truck onto our truck. Oh, my God. That's crazy. We have one week left of renovations. So we're going to actually slip in there, build the sound booth while they're still working so we can at least have better sound. That's the plan. Hopefully, if we can figure this thing out. I mean, how many pieces are there? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. There's like. 
there's got to be 30 boxes. Oh my gosh. This is going to take a while. It's really cool though. It has like LED lights. It has obviously like, it's like if you ever went to like an audiologist, like the box they would put you in whenever it's they the same there. one. Well, it's yeah, they actually same type. Yeah. They sell them for that purpose too. Oh, wow. That's cool. Very cool. Yeah, but um, it's been very fun. It's it's kind of exciting that we're actually here because it's kind of it's kind of cool to rough it once in a while. We're roughing it, but we're halfway done with the renovations. Yeah, they just finished the painting. The flooring starts tomorrow, so and it's looking really good. I I kind of picked the colors, but Ricky approved of it. It's kind of um, we're doing like the sage green walls throughout the house. Wasn't it like Joanne's like? Best colors, twenty twenty one. Oh yeah, I worked. Um, <laughs> so I never worked. <laughs> um, it, it's um Sher- Sherman Williams best. Um, I guess it's like their color of the year for twenty twenty two. So I wonder if you can hear the train in the recording. Oh yeah, I'm sure <laughs> you can hear. There's lots of things: trains, cars passing by, crickets, dogs. Every time I drive through this town, I think of that like just them good old boys. <laughs> <laughs> Who are up to no good. <laughs> I don't even know if that's what it says. Oh, yeah, I don't either. <laughs> it's been a long week. A really long week. All right, guys. Um, anything else you'd like to add? Uh, I think we'll be a professional pod. Well, I can't even say we've ever been a professional. But we'll be back to hopefully a better version of ourselves. Yeah, we kind of got a little amateur here in the last couple of episodes. Yeah. But the cases have been good, I think. Yeah. We're still telling good cases. We just are in like, it would be like if we pitched a tent and made a podcast. Right. That's exactly what's happening right now with crickets and the whole bit. Yeah. All we need now is a fire and some s'mores. (laughs) Ooh, s'mores sound good. All right, guys. Well, we'll see you next week. Hi, this is Chris Hart, host of Plug or Chris Hart. BetOnline is your number one source for all your baseball wagering info with up-to-the-minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. BetOnline has everything you need to stay up to speed on each league championship series all the way through the World Series. And don't forget, BetOnline is where you get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals for the NFL and college football right at your fingertips. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on all the action. BetOnline, where the game starts. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch, involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati, and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.